When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to the 20th episode of the Pirate Rugby Pod. We now have over 400 YouTube subscribers and our next stop is 500. We also had our biggest ever week for audio downloads, so thank you everyone for your support. If you like what we do, please like, share and subscribe. Comments also give us a big boost and we always respond to everyone. A reminder, you can find us on Twitter and sign up to our free Substack. Links to both are below. If you follow us, you'll get updates every time we drop a new piece of content, whether it be a podcast, video or long form article. We've no guests this week. Uh, hopefully be back to bringing you a couple of different voices again next week. So let's get straight into our big moments of the week. And uh, what was yours? There were a couple of, you know, really important kicks this weekend and but the one really for me that stood out was Kieran Frawley's 88-minute, 60-meter bomb of a kick uh, against La Rochelle. It wasn't the winning kick. Leinster were already in the lead, but for me, it just like there is a massive debate in Ireland now about who should be Johnny Sexton's successor, and there have been a lot of calls for Frawley to fill that position. And for whatever reason, Leinster don't seem to pick him at 10, and um, so he starts a lot of his games at fullback. So this for me, you know, he did come on during this game because there was an injury to Harry Byrne. He came on, he did a great job. And then, yeah, in in horrendous conditions, you know, kicked a, a 60 meter penalty kick to win the game. And change. It, it, it didn't just sneak And over, change. Yeah, like the camera angle is brilliant. Like you can see the lash and rain on the actual screen itself and he smashes it and it just extended Leinster's lead by three points and for me it was just a great moment for him um, because there have been a lot of question marks you know around whether or not he should even stay at Leinster because he's not starting at 10 and he wants to play 10 and and, you know whether he should be this utility you know back Um, and there have been some people questioning whether or not he should just leave but I think this is this is him back himself making a statement and and now I think it sounds like it sounds like Byrne is going to be out next week so hopefully Frawley will get a chance next week to, to really push on um, but yeah, what a way to do it against La Rochelle, um, who do not lose at home. Um, so it was brilliant to see. What was yours? So mine was news that's just been com- confirmed today. We haven't done any Fiji talk for a few weeks, which has been making me sad. But there was some Fiji news confirmed today. Bola to all of the Fijian listeners. If you're still listening, <laughs> um, you've been replaced by South Africans, I think. But anyway, uh, so Fiji versus the Barbarians has been confirmed at Twickenham. I think it's on the uh 24th of june uh, i'll confirm that on twitter a bit later so i think this is going to be the traditional barbarians game that follows the english premiership final so it's normally a double header traditionally it has been england themselves who play the barbarians but england started losing that game quite regularly so they they pulled out of doing that um it was the world 15 last year and i was at that game it was a fun-ish occasion um but it was basically two Barbarians teams, whereas now it's going to be Fiji. I think the interesting thing for me is, firstly, it's great that Fiji are getting more rugby, which is something that we've all been begging for. 
it is still within the time period that the French top 14 playoffs would be happening. So it would be only the players who don't make the latter stages of the playoffs that, that are available for it. I believe it would be mid or just after the end of Super Rugby. So are they going to ship all of the Super Rugby um, Fijian Drua players over there? Would it basically just be the Drua against the Barbarians? Of course, the Barbarians team traditionally is made up of a lot of Fijians. So that's a bit of a challenge for the Barbarian selectors. Um, or are they going to bring, because it's in Twickenham rather than being in the Southern Hemisphere, are they going to focus on just having the Northern Hemisphere Fijian players in that game? So it cuts down on the logistics and things. So it's quite interesting to see how that's going to happen. But more Fiji in a place where I can go and watch it is always good news. So that's my moment of the week. Good stuff, mate. And I guess what we have to start with this week is we've had our first weekend of, of Champions Cup action. And for me, after all the chat, and I know we discussed last week about maybe, you know, the, the Champions Cup, maybe not having that same feel about it this time around and, you know, figuring out the format and everything. But I think we've had a, an absolutely brilliant weekend of rugby. What, what about you? What was your take on, on the weekend as a whole in terms of the, the Champions Cup? It, it was a lot of rugby if you're watching the Challenge Cup as well. So, you know, we, we like to cover all of the rugby all of the time. But with this, it was actually watch you could watch all of it. And it, yeah, it was a lot to take in. I was like double screening for a lot of Saturday, watching two games at the same time. And by the end of Sunday, even me, an absolute rugby addict, was thinking, I'm starting to feel a little bit rugbyed out here. This is maybe too much rugby. But yeah, we had some great games, a lot of talking points, a lot of upsets as well, which some people say that the way that the current format is done is deliberately to avoid upsets. But we got a fair few upsets, I'd say. Um, mostly invo involving French teams one way or another. So, yeah, I think it was a it was an interesting way to get into it. It was kind of new for me because I'm just starting on my journey with TNT, who I've not subscribed to for a few years now. So I'm getting back into that. Um, but yeah, uh, like we say, a lot of talking points that we'll get into. How about you, mate? Yeah, absolutely loved it. Really enjoyed it. From an Irish perspective, maybe not so much. We'd only had, had one win. But we, we'll move on to that later. But for me, the standout is definitely, and it's something we can talk about later on, is the performance of the English Premiership teams. And I think it's a positive. Um, it, it really is. And it's great to see them taking it so seriously. You know, we, we can we might actually move on now to to maybe the top 14 teams performance in the competition. You know, we've only had one weekend, so it is important to to take note of that. And we don't need to get carried away. There were a couple of major upsets, um, and, and the first for me that that really stood out was was Toulon losing at home by one point to to Exeter. Did did you catch much of this game? I caught a lot of it, yeah. And it, this Exeter team it, it talks a lot about in Wales because it's got so many young Welsh players in it. And is Henry Slade and maybe one or two others aside a very young team? They had a big exodus of players at the end of last season, which uh, we think was a lot to do with budget cuts. And there's been rumours about uh, Exeter's financial situation swirling all season. So this is a, a big result for them. And Toulon raced into a bit of an early lead. Um, I think I, I'm worried I might be getting games mixed up now. But I think Exeter got their first try off an intercept. So it was quite against the run of play. And then Toulon kind of wrestled back um, momentum. I think they got a try off the back of a mall with Gigiashvili. And yeah, it, it seems like Toulon were comfortable, but then it got into the second half and they just didn't add any more scores. You know, we've talked plenty on this pod about the top 14 being a low scoring league. Of all the teams so far this season, Toulon have been the ones who've been able to build score lines. But for some reason in this game, they just couldn't get couldn't get across the score, the 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 try line and get any kickable penalties. And Exeter just hung on in there. They just hung on in there. They didn't go away. They didn't die. And they got the score right at the end. It was a little bit, did he definitely get it down? It was one of those where it depends on the referee's question. Um, and you didn't see the ball being grounded, I don't think. But the referee had asked the question, uh, is there any reason, uh, you know, on-field try, is there any reason why I can't award it? And I, I'm all for that. Yeah, I think the benefit of the doubt should always be given to the attacking team. And 
yeah, so uh, a bit of a shocker for Toulon. I think they'll be absolutely raging. Like losing at home is not what French teams like to do. So yeah, that that was a bit of a shocker. And then I think the there were a couple more upsets for French teams, but I think the other one for me was uh, Harlequins uh, overcoming Racing at the uh, uh, La Defense Arena. What did, did you get to see much of that one, mate? Got to. I had it on in the background. Just didn't play pay close attention because i i was completely rugby out after the weekend to be honest like we had tw- like we had 12 champions cup games and nine challenge cup games um so yeah pretty impossible to to pay attention to all of them but i th- this was a, a shock result for me um really really surprised marcus smith he had a brilliant game that I, i'm sure you've seen the clips i'm sure our listeners have seen the clips and our, our viewers have seen that clips of that drop goal they just did really well in the home in there and it was yeah, definitely the one of the results of the weekend. Um, I think everybody would have been predicting a, a racing win there. And it really sets them up quite nicely because, it, it, you know, traditionally in, in this competition, you always need to win, you know, your home games. That's a must and do what you can away. Maybe pick up a, a losing bonus point or get a draw or even get the win. So I think for anyone who's who's gotten away victory this weekend, it, that that's a massive uh, start for them. And, and really, if you look at, a team like Racing now, like they're they're under pressure, like especially an opening game in that really cool U Arena, under the lights on that fake plastic pitch. You know, it's yeah, it was a top of the top it was a big big upset, top of the top fourteen, like a really big upset. Now Harlequin also like they, let, let's let's give them their dues, like they are a great side, they're attacking minded side. Dan, Danny Kerr is still going there. He's a, I think he's a fantastic number nine, and obviously he's got Smith outside him, so. And Alex Dombrandt as well. He played really well. Like I just think overall they deserve the win, and it really opens that 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 group up quite nicely. And um, so let's see what next wing ne- next week bring, brings for us. What did you did you think? Did you catch much of it? I caught a bit of it. I was cooking while I was watching it. Um, but I think Racing will be absolutely fuming. I think that they were the better team, but they just the de- decision making on the pitch really let them down. And I'm sure Stuart Lancaster will be fuming. Like. They had kickable penalties that they turned down to go to the corner. And like it's cup rugby, guys. Like I don't know whether it was hubris or whatever it was, because at the start of the second half, when they got some scores in the second half, they did come quite easily. So they were making meters quite easily and, and um, Quinns weren't able to hold them back. Uh, but they didn't manage to get as many scores as they seemed to think that they were going to be able to get. And like I say, they didn't kick their goals to keep the score line ticking over. And then as soon as they went back for the kickoff, Quinn scored immediately. Um, so I think it, Racing will feel like that they let that one slip through their fingers, which is something that definitely happens in club rugby more than international rugby. International rugby, you tend to see the, the team that is better wins, whereas in club rugby, you can see a team be on top and somehow lose the game. And I think that's what happened in this case. Like you say, that the top top 14 team at home losing to an English Premiership team, I think is a massive result, uh, shock. But what I will say is um, a bit of research I did at the end of last season, comparing the performances of all the leagues in Europe. The top 14 teams often do underperform in Europe. Now, people will be hearing that and thinking a top 14 team won the Champions Cup and the Challenge Cup for the last two seasons in a row. And Toulouse got to the semi-final as well. But what we tend to see as a trend is that a couple of top 14 teams do well, two or three do quite well and go quite deep. But a lot of the top 14s go out of Europe quite early. And that that does seem to be the trend. So it's not that much of a shock to me in terms in terms of win percentage. Top 14 was the bottom out of the URC in the Premiership and themselves at the end of last season in both competitions top 14 won the fewest games having said that the disparity in financial resources between the top 14 and the other two leagues most of the urc anyway um you would think that they would be building that gap but apparently not and you know at the end of the day it it is just who who is the better team on the night if that's not stupid sports (laughs) <laughs> cliches at the end of the day it's who's better at the end of the night <laughs> so <laughs> uh but yeah so i think i don't know what about you mate did you do you do you think people 
have a perception now that the top 14 teams should be better or do you think I don't know what do you think I think most people realize that for French teams apart from a you know a couple of them they they prioritize the top 14 and they do that for a very good reason because they have promotion and relegation in that league like you if you were to drop in the top 14 that could be the end of your career um, it can lead to a loss of jobs. Like it's massive. It really is. So that, like, if you look at a team like Bayonne playing in the in Champions Cup for the first time this year, they're in tenth in the top fourteen, and their their focus is already on top fourteen because they can't afford to go down. And you know, I think, but despite that, then like I think like they they ended up getting a draw, and they they certainly didn't put out their first team, but to go to Munster, um. The cauldron that is Thoman Park and to get a draw against a very strong Munster side was was one of the one of the results of the weekend for me. And I think maybe that will give them a bit of hope or maybe not hope, but it'll just give them that that maybe courage to, to put out stronger teams and really go for it in this competition. But at the same time, you know, they have that 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 top 14 carrot at the end of it as well, but they have to just um, have the focus on that. But I think. You know, they'll be boosted by that. And that, that was a massive, massive uh, draw for them. Like they kept Munster to like Munster scored three points in that second half. Um, yeah. So I think that was re- a really impressive one. Another result that I was probably quite shocked at. But again, it was really close. Like Bristol had a two point win over Leon. You Leon know, but again, it was not well in close. the top 14 this season. Yeah. And neither are Bristol really like, like Bristol haven't been doing well for quite a while now or they're certainly inconsistent anyway. Um, and yeah, were there any other kind of games involving top 14 teams that you were surprised well, about? We'll, no, we'll get on to I, La Rochelle later. I was surprised when I tuned in to my Galway friends and saw how, how they were playing. I tuned in sort of midway through the second half. And I'll let you talk about it, mate, because it's your team. But against Bordeaux, who are a bit of a dark horse for me because I think they're putting together a hell of a squad and, you know, there's rumours of them signing a few more. But the the Connacht team that I saw on the pitch seemed like a shadow of what I've been watching in the URC so far this year. Yeah, I guess we'll have to move on to it, won't we? Um, look, it, it was really, really disappointing. Um, and frankly, it was a worrying performance. Uh, you know, it was only it was actually only 12-5 at halftime. Uh, to Bordeaux, but then it ended up 41 to 5. You know, it, it's it's Connacht's biggest ever um, European Cup loss at home. Uh, and for me, I, I certainly expected a like a massive bounce back because I thought that they were very unlucky against Lens not to come away with a win there. But I, I was, you know, I, I was expecting an angry performance. You know, I was expecting them just to go all out and just to really make a mark and, and like this is their you know this is where Connacht Rugby want to be they want to be in the Champions Cup and that's where they feel like they should be and I just thought the performance was, was really flat and I thought Bordeaux were on top in almost every facet of the game uh, they really were um, and Connacht like again they, they tried to play so much rugby like some of the stats are quite surprising um, in a way but maybe not in other ways like Connacht we know love to pass the ball when they do kick you know, they don't kick for touch. Um, but like in this game, kind of true. Again, the stats vary depending on where you get them. So according to EPCR's website anyway, Connacht threw 222 passes and Bordeaux threw 146. And Connacht only kicked 10 times um, out of hand. So it just shows like, like for me, that they were just quite blunt in fact. Like they were running their phases. They were throwing their passes and they were trying to get out wide at times and everything. And it just didn't work. And it for me, it just seemed like there was no alternative. Um, like they couldn't figure out how to get around the defence. And even when they did, you know, like a final pass would let them down or, or there'd be a sloppy drop ball or something like that. Um, so that was that was really disappointing as well. And, and probably the biggest disappointment from the night was 21 minutes in, Hansen goes down uh, with an injury. It doesn't sound too good. Now, I don't know the full extent of the injury, but I do know he's out next week and Connacht have Saracens away so already like you know you could argue Connacht may have to switch their focus to the ORC after next weekend now we know that you can actually do really poorly in in this new format or in the Champions Cup uh, with 24 teams now and still get through but I'm wondering should Connacht already like if if things don't go well against Saracens 
should they just switch their focus to the URC? Because again, you know, now with the URC, it's the top eight that go through. So they they probably need to make sure that they finish in that top eight because I'm not sure if they're going to go um, the full way, you know, or go far in the competition this year. Mm. Um, and just, yeah, the line out again, especially after last weekend, like it, it was poor again, like the 77% success rate. And um, the scrum wasn't great either. Like Buckley and Balaam, two really good um, scrummagers were both replaced at halftime. You know what? It's really surprising, and just just the whole occasion. Like there were only actually six, around six thousand at the game. There were eight thousand at the Leinster game and the ORC game the week before. So even like the, the the atmosphere wasn't there, but obviously that was you know there there wasn't much for the crowd to to get behind. But it just yeah, it was just a really flat and, and deflating performance. And and I hope there's a massive turnaround now. I'm, I don't know if you've seen the clip, but. Donico Callahan on comms for for TMT um or analysis rather at halftime, you know he did state that like Pete Wilkins the kind of head coach needs to go in there and just like needs to lose it in the dressing room, like he was fuming at the at the performance and it turns out that he was dead right because Connor came out in the second half, and they played even worse than they did in the first so, yeah really a really deflating performance, but maybe yeah. maybe maybe we'll leave it there. Okay yeah all right then come on, let's talk about. Leinster and their victory at La Rochelle so there was oh so on the app that isn't Twitter it's a very Leinster heavy environment and all of the people on there were very happy um on Saturday was it Saturday or Sunday it was Sunday wasn't it Sunday so they were very happy on Sunday they got the monkey off their back they felt cursed they they'd all had nightmares about Will Skelton the night before but they got the job done, and you alluded to it earlier with the with the hero kick from Frawley. But it seems like they kind of had La Rochelle's number in this game. I think they really do. They they did, and and just for context as well, like we, you know, you can't deny that La Rochelle they have had a poor start to the top fourteen top fourteen season, um, but they haven't lost, you know, in the Champions Cup for two and a half years, you know, and and twelve of that that starting fifteen. Uh, on Sunday, were the same players that started, like were the same players that started against Lancer in last year's final. Um, you know they've played like I, the, La Rochelle actually haven't lost a Champions Cup game since the 2021 final. Um, and they also, you know, so like the, that that's how good they are in this competition. That's how serious they take it, and and they're really strong at home. So I think, you know, it's easy just to maybe look at their result and go, well, they're not doing great this season. But for me, they've, you know, that was pretty much their exact same team, bar three players who, who lined up against Leinster and and have beaten them on, on the two pre, two previous seasons as well. And I just thought, like, it was a game for the purest because the conditions were absolutely horrendous. Like, it was sideways rain, looked even worse than the sports ground at times. So it was just a kick fest. But obviously, like the, like some people hate that, but uh, like I was so into, I thought it was brilliant because they just they just couldn't really play any ball, um, and it was just absolute mayhem at, at rock time. There were so many scraps, there was so much back chat to the ref, there were so many little oh, shots. There were Ryan got told to shut up, didn't he? Yeah. So this whole so this is definitely one of the talking points from this game. So Leinster have opted to pick two co-captains. So Ring Rose is one and, and James Ryan is the other. And Matthew Carley, I think it was. Um, yeah. I think that's Yeah, Matthew Carley, I just got fed up with James Ryan because he kept going up to him at every break and play, just calling for something or giving out or whatnot. And he just lost his patience with him and, and went over to Gary and said, I'm dealing with you now. Um, that's not good for but, James Ryan because a lot of people have him down as next Ireland captain. Yeah, it's not good for him. And it, it's not good for Leinster because, you know, the the whole dual captaincy thing is backfired. But having said that, James Ryan put an absolutely phenomenal performance. His tackle uh, success rate, his the number of tackles he made, they were all off the absolute charts. And they just didn't they just didn't take a backward step as well, Leinster. Like I, it feels like in, in times past they were absolutely bullied um by Bottier and, and by um, Skelton. And they just like, especially with that scrap after a couple of minutes. I, I love absolutely, the scrap. I love the scrap. And Leinster didn't like, they didn't take a backward step, and they just put it up to them, and they didn't take any shit, and they just said we're here and we're not going anywhere. 
and you're not going to bully us this time around. Um, and and that's what I that's what I liked most about. It. Like I I had an eye when I watched it back. I I, I kind of kept a close eye on Bakhtia and Skelton. Um, and they were just I just saw some really cheap shots. Uh, um, and and just like you know them pushing players on the ground, lying on top of them, trapping them in, and just smiling and just like there was one sequence of play where Bakhtia um you know he absolutely smashed. I think it was. Who was it on the wing for Leinster who got absolutely smashed, smashed by him I think, during the first half? Jamie O'Brien, um, who had dropped the ball and Bati just came in and absolutely floored him. Um, and then after that, he started a scrap with uh, with Jemison Gibson Parker, had words with him anyway. Like he was obviously really fired up and that's probably what he's been told about him doing, like to just disrupt him. But he gave away the penalty. Um, and, and Leinster were able to, to, to go on from there. I just thought like it was a mature performance from Leinster where like they did get sucked into it at times but at the end of the day you know they came away with the victory and and they didn't give away too many stupid penalties or I didn't see that like there was obviously a lot of back chat from all players which was disappointing to see but you could also you know just see how much it actually meant to to all the players yeah um and yeah there was just a load of a load of uh, a load of kicks and but it was for me it was absolutely fascinating it was like it was pretty much a test level game um, yeah. for me and, and the Leinster scrum as well was under huge pressure um, like Porter would have played 80 minutes but he had to go off for a couple of minutes to get his, his eye. face he didn't want to go up. off as well did he because Callum yeah. was saying to him you need to go off and he was like I'm fine I'm like no yeah. you're not <laughs> and Michael Alatoa like he put in a really good performance and he played the full 80 but they did come under pressure so like it's it's not all uh, you know like there are definitely things that Leinster obviously need to work on but they absolutely as well, you know, last thing maybe say is they did a number on the line out as well. And they were really on top. And actually, I have to mention this, La Rochelle, as you said, this is cup rugby. The amount of times they turned down the post and went for the corner, like I couldn't understand it. And it came back to haunt them in the end. But like, especially then, because it was quite sweet for them to them because they had they were absolutely on top of them at, at, at line out time and they figured them out. But yeah, I yeah. could talk all day about this game, but it was for me it was just brilliant and it was just great for Leinster to finally get that monkey off their back and, and get that first win and what a way to do it. I've really learned how to enjoy kicking battles. First first rule of rugby, don't get involved in the kicking duel with the French because they love a kicking duel. The, but the way to watch it for anybody who's kind of like maybe new to it or doesn't find it that interesting is think of it like a tennis match and the the winner is the one who makes the most ground so you're waiting squid rugby did a great video on this is you're waiting for the one side to get bored and just hoof it out or you're waiting for one side to make a mistake and put in a bad kick and so now i I can watch like exchanges of like 10 kicks and and be enthralled by it even that that however boring that may sound yeah uh have we i think we've covered all of the uh, the only thing i'll add is i kind of do feel like I predicted Leinster to win because La Rochelle have been bad. Like they've mm-hmm. scored the fourth fewest points in the top 14 and they've played mostly team. They've played all the teams in the bottom half of the league. And like Montpellier's only win this season has been against La Rochelle. And uh, right. So Ronan O'Gara was banned from the game, but he was also there. Yeah, I think he it was a touch line ban, but he was still in the stadium. So it, essentially he wasn't banned at all, which is something that I learned again on socials so that's a bit of a funny one speaking of bands what's this about the guy in the monster game who's grabbed the bion guy the the bordeaux no the bion guy's shirt yeah i believe he's been banned for two years uh banned from attending monster games i assume that's home games um mm. but yeah he had a pint in one hand and then he used his other to grab <laughs> a on player uh he is very lucky uh, a stupid thing to do um it's two years a bit harsh that's what i was thinking he came forward as well this week and just admitted to it you know they're probably going to launch a big investigation getting all the footage he just came forward well, and he probably felt embarrassed more than anything it's more a question of like the stewards at munster isn't it at toman park saying how why is a fan getting close enough to grab a player who's on the pitch because that's they how are. toman park is designed it's 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 kind of like millennium stadium that sense where the yeah, the terrace especially are just right on top of the pitch, and that's kind of what you want. Yeah, but not when this happens, I suppose. Because yeah, this, but this never happens. So 
I get like a you're banned for the rest of the season, but I think a two year ban is a bit. Just grab a jersey. Anyway, yeah. maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm just not rugby values enough. <laughs> right. So we talk some Challenge Cup then, because the Welsh teams actually did okay in this. Like, yeah. sorry, Cardiff fans, I don't have much to say about what happened against Toulouse. What can I say? You you played the Real Madrid of rugby with the school kids, and what happened happened. Nothing really to to add to that. But yeah, Challenge Cup. I'll do the Scarlets first. So. The Scarlets are really worrying me now. I did the Scarlets pod link down below yesterday, and there's re- it's really starting to get a bit depressing doing that pod now because I, you can't see on the pitch what the team is trying to achieve. You can't see progress. You can see one or two players, you know, getting better. Like every game, like, oh, this player maybe had a really good game, or this player really, maybe had a really good game. But as a team, you can't really see it. The pack has been absolutely destroyed game after game after game. Like if it's raining, I said on the pod, if it's raining and the Scarlets are playing, you may as well just go home and concede a 28 nil walkover because our scrum was operating at 56%. That's on our own put in. Like that doesn't take into account opposition put in. Our line out was at 58%. And what that stat doesn't tell you is that even when we caught it, we go one phase and get turned over because even though we caught it, that something had gone mis- gone wrong, there'd been a bit of an incident and then the move was all out of sync and then like someone ran and they got turned over or they lost the ball or they knocked it on. So it's it's just so hard to watch the Scarlets at the moment. The, the pack is absolutely nowhere. We have no kicking game. Like A bit like you were saying about how maybe there's a few teams in the... Um, in the URC that are kind of suffering from this. We'll talk about Glasgow in a bit, but we just have no kicking game at all. We don't, it's just kicking is something we don't do. We put in a high number of kicks in this game, but they were just like clearance kicks. They weren't tactical kicks. And they they haven't been all season. Yoan Lloyd doesn't kick, but basically is a 10. He's had games where he's put like three kicks in. And that's your fly half, who's played 80 minutes. And yeah, it was just a very tough, tough watch. Not purely because it was on, EPCR TV, which has an option to Chromecast that doesn't work. Um, but, you know, that's what eight euros gets you, I suppose, for one game. But that was that. Fortunately, the other two Welsh teams did do OK. So Ospreys got into a hell of a game with Benetton. A bit disappointing that there was an inter-URC game played. We were told... Yeah. By it, we were told that the Challenge Cup was going to be scheduled deliberately to try and avoid that. But just the sheer number of URC teams, is it was unavoidable. But the fact that Ospreys had played Benetton last week and then played them again this week, just is a bit, you know. But Ospreys put out all their big stars. Uh, to say it again, Ospreys have got a great squad. So they had Wales first choice, Gareth Thomas at Loosehead. They had Wales captain, Dewey Lake at Hooker. They had British and Irish Lion. Adam Beard in the second row. They had Wales captain Jack Morgan in the back row. Uh, Owen Williams, Welsh international at 10. George North, Bridge and Irish line at 13. So they had all their big guns. I could have stopped listing when I got to number eight there because, you know, we talk about Welsh regions trying to cut costs on player expending and things. If Ospreys play their, pay their backs in anything other than beer tokens, they are wasting money. Ospreys backs do not touch the ball. The Ospreys scored six tries in this game all from forwards four four of them from lake like i did a bit of analysis on the regional tens uh last week jack well well whoever's playing 10 for the ospreys touches the ball the least out of all of the tens at the welsh regions like so it's barely even 10 man rugby it is just forward pack and defense that's all they do but you know credit to them they got the win it was it was a fun game to watch because you think Benetton have quite a good defence as well, but it ended up being 43-34, which is a surprisingly high-scoring game for these two sides. But it was a good watch. Um, and the, again, the Ospreys have got to be f- clear favourites to get out of that pool as, as winners now. Uh, what else happens? Then the Dragons. So the Dragons game, you talk about tough conditions. So it wasn't pouring down, but it was one of those games where the wind was so strong that kicks were like going backwards like they were putting kicks in and then all the players would go oh no and like go backwards and and have to try and field it that way 
was again like line outs were being thrown and you couldn't throw a straight line out because the wind was that strong so and it was really affecting the play so in the first half Oyana had the wind behind them and they were on top and then obviously at half time dragons had the wind behind them and they were on top it was literally like the wind was deciding the game the it was seven all on the 73rd minute right <laughs> and i've been watching the whole of this game and i'm like this game is finishing seven all and i've just wasted two hours of my life watching this on s4c in welsh i haven't understood a word apart from kais which is try um but then in the last seven minutes the dragon scored three tries and came away with the bonus point win to be fair i do think they deserved it i do think that they were the better team like rio dyer is such a class player we've got to find a place for him in the welsh international team because he's I know this is again a bit like my kicking duel thing. It's such a boring thing to say, but his his kick chase is elite. Like he's got the best kick chase of any winger that I've seen, and he he runs with such intent and power. It's it's so great to watch. It's so unusual for a, te- a team's best player to be a winger, and like you could say the winger dragged us through this game, but you can say that about Rio Dyer. He is class. So yeah, a great morale boosting win for the Dragons. I think that's two home wins in a row, which doesn't happen very often for them. So again, now that they've got that result in the bag, the five points, they've got to be looking to get out of the group as well. So class for them. So it was it ended on a high for the Welsh regions this weekend, which is nice. Uh, I guess a couple of other things to talk about. Uh, Cheetahs got a win. So we spoke a couple of weeks ago about with Jade about whether the Cheetahs should be readmitted to the URC and they quite easily beat Zebra. That's a bit of a shocker, isn't it? Yeah, and Pinar got man of the match. Still going yeah. strong. I think we should try to mention him every single pod if we can. We should try. Yeah, I mean, I didn't get a chance to see the game, but that is the type of results. Like, and Zebra have been much improved this season as well. So I, I still think that that's a really good result for them away from home. Um, they've been playing very little rugby. Um, you know, so it's that's the type of results. Um. That, that's quite eye-catching and let's not forget that the cheetahs made it to the knockout stages last year as well so let's see how far they can go um and yeah like i think it does obviously reignite that whole debate um about whether or not they should be readmitted or whether or not should there should be a urc you know v2 or whatever um but let's keep an eye on them and um, definitely an interesting game the other game that stood out for me or one of the more interesting games was black line at home against gloucester in front of 6,300 fans. Did you get a chance to watch much of this I, game? I caught a bit of it. Big stadium. So it's one of those, again, you yeah. know, a thing that's every week. Big stadium, okay crowd in a big stadium looks like a not okay crowd. But yeah, t- tell the, the listeners why you found the first 10 minutes of this game particularly interesting. Yeah, so I found nothing about this online. Uh, there was zero, there were zero tweets about it, but I was watching the game on Premier Sports and it was, yeah, the commentary was not in English. Um, now they did fix it thankfully after about 10-15 minutes um, but that made it quite a bit because I, I always I know a lot of people, not a lot but there are some rugby nerds out there who, who might watch certain games with certain pundits or whatever commentators muted but I, I tend to, to enjoy commentating and uh, yeah it was pretty tough going for the first 10 minutes um, but yeah they eventually figured it out thankfully uh, you watched a bit, a good bit of this game. Were you impressed by Blackline? I was. I thought they looked very comfortable at this level. Gloucester aren't amazing by any stretch of the imagination, but Blackline, it reminded me a lot of watching Georgia in the World Cup, which is unsurprising because Blackline are very close to a full Georgian 15. But this game, they will be absolutely kicking themselves like Georgia were in the World Cup because they were plenty good enough to win. If they'd have just stuck to their set piece, they would have easily won it. Like Gloucester didn't score a try. They scored, they kicked five penalties to win. I think I was listening to Francisco on the rap pod. And I, I think that, that I need to call them Georgia there. I think Black Lion got a bit excited and they got a bit carried away and they started throwing staffed offloads again. It was raining. It was terrible weather pretty much everywhere in Europe this weekend. And they just didn't play the game right. If they'd have just scrummed and and mauled at the line out the heck out of this game, they would have won by two scores. But they just kept trying to play nice rugby. Pub trivia question for the future. 
First ever try scorer for Black Lion in Europe was Matt Carver, the fly half. Note that down, it will come up. But yeah, like I said, they looked comfortable. And as as a Scarlets fan, you know, we talk about styles make games, right? They say in boxing, styles make fights. And I think Black Lion's big strength is their set piece. And I think Scarlet's biggest weakness is our set piece. So they, they're traveling away to Parker Scarlet's to play us. But I, I am nervous. I think Black Lion have got all the tools that they need to to beat us at the moment, which is a bit, bit worrying, to be honest. Uh, Shall I do my Black Lion story now? Go for it. I've been dying to tell this. I wanted to do a whole deep dive on them. Went back when we were doing deep dives, but I haven't had the chance. But I'm going to do it now. So you may already know this. So I'm going to find out. How old do you think Black Lion are? 30 years old. Not even close. Black Lion are playing their third season this year. Wow. So the Georgian league is called the DD10 and Black Lion were created above this. Their first season was 2021-2022. Maths. Um, and they've been playing in the European Super Cup and they've won the European Super Cup the two seasons that it's existed and they're in the final again this year. I think they're playing against Tel Aviv Heat, who have done quite well this, this season. Um, but this is not the only tournament that Black Lion have ever played in. Because in 2022, the Curry Cup Tier 2, so in the Curry Cup, you've got the Premier Division and Division 1, which is below that. They put, The Division 1 opened its doors to teams not from South Africa. So there was a team from Zimbabwe, there was a team from Namibia, and there was a team from Georgia. That team was Black Lion, played in the Curry Cup. So you've got a Georgian team playing in the South African Domestic League. How weird is that? But how did they get on? So despite playing all of their games in South Africa, as you can imagine, logistically, that was how it went. Black Lion did very well. So uh, Curry Cup Division One is the best league in the world for team names. So they played games against the Goshawks. They played games against the Eastern Province Elephants, the, Bo- the Border Bulldogs the SWD Eagles and the Leopards, and they won all of those games. But they only finished fourth in the table. Not very impressive, right? Wrong, because they didn't play all of their scheduled league games. Do you know why? Because they were playing in the European Super Cup at the same time. The European Super Cup and the Curry Cup were happening concurrently, and Black Lion were playing in both of them. And they had three league matches in the Curry Cup cancelled because they clashed with Super Rugby Europe, European Super Cup games. But fourth was still good enough for them to qualify for the end of season playoffs, which they did. And they went up against the Griffins in the semi-final. And Griffins were the best team in the league. They finished top of the standings. And I think they hadn't lost a game all year or lost only one game all year. So Black Lion went into this game away from home. And it was 31 all at 80 minutes. So they drew the game in in regular time and it went to extra time. Despite outscoring the Griffins five tries to four, Black Lion came up just short in the final and lost 41-38. Griffins then went on to the final against Eastern Province Elephants and absolutely hammered them. So it was a case of what might have been for Black Lion. But if anyone's interested in watching it, all of Black, well, a lot of Black Lions games in the um, Curry Cup are the full 80s are on YouTube still. You can go and find them and watch them play these games. And the South African commentators do give them a lot of respect. And you can see that that DNA of uh, forward orientated game is there. And as you can imagine, that got a lot of respect in South Africa. Following this, Black Lion uh, went on to tour South America. So we've done our deep dive on South America before. And they played every single team in Super Rugby Americas in South America, and they beat all of them. They then played a dream team from Super Rugby America, so players from all of those teams, like a select Barbarians-type team. And then that team beat Black Lion. So outside of the European Super Cup, Black Lion have lost two games. And then I think in the European Super Cup, they've only lost two or three games ever. Like, they've got players who have never lost in a Black Lion shirt. So this. 
Gloucester defeat that they've just had, they are still what half a dozen defeats in their history. So like they are a serious team and they are well capable of playing at Challenge Cup level. And it I if they imagine they get out of the pool. Imagine if they progress. So I'm I'm fully black lion hype. And they've got a great kit, by the way, black and yellow, always amazing. Anyway, that's the Black Lion story. Great stuff. Any other Challenge Cup points you wanted to, to touch on or, or will we move on to the new best league? I'm not calling it that. <laughs> We've been referred to as hipsters on Twitter and I'm not sure how I feel about it. So if you're one of the, uh, hopefully one of our many listeners who think URC equals best league, you are a hipster according to certain Twitter accounts. Yeah, look, I think we, we, we do need to touch on it. <laughs> um, maybe the Prem isn't the best league, but look, the, the Premiership teams did really well this weekend. We have to acknowledge that. And seven out of eight of their teams won uh, in the Champions Cup. And I think that's a really positive for not only the Champions Cup, but obviously for, for the Premiership. Like, it's been a tough time down to, what, 10 teams now? Three teams yeah. have just disappeared uh, from the competition. And a lot of those players, you know, have, have joined existing teams. And I think that's that's potentially shown and maybe that's why they're doing better. And um, because a lot of that talent has just been spread across uh, the competition. Um, but yeah, like long may it continue, I suppose, if you're a, a Gallagher Prem fan. But look, it, it it has only been one week. And um, so let's see how the rest of the, the competition fares out. But I, I thought they did. I thought they did well. And yeah, I, I don't think I'm ready to quite call it the best league. but. We'll see how yeah, it what, goes what are your for the rest. We'll see how it goes for the rest of it. It's only been one week. Uh, yeah, you know, um, going down, reducing number of teams is, is pretty much been shown to always be a benefit. If you look at the best teams in the world, with really France are the only nation that doesn't have a small number of teams that is doing well. Like New Zealand, five teams, South Africa, four and a half, call it that. Uh, Ireland, obviously, only four. Scotland are now doing well with just two. But even if you look at France, if you look at where they pick their players from, they only pick players from about five teams in the top 14. There are loads of top 14 teams that don't have representation in the France squad. It's like that that team is built around Toulouse. So, yeah, so that was kind of the point about it going down to 10 teams, I think naturally will make them stronger. It will make the premiership teams better and it will make the England national team better, uh, whether people are happy about it going down to 10 teams or not. Obviously, all the people losing their employment, which is never a good thing. But in terms of an on-the-pitch point of view, it, sh- it should improve things in terms of quality. But yeah, the the big shock for me was Northampton going away to Glasgow and winning. Yeah. And I think this is a, it was a bit like the Connacht game because Glasgow just did not want to play the game that needed to be played. Like they kept, they were playing on halfway so much and they were not kicking and it was belting down with rain and they just kept knocking the ball on. And yeah, the, the, again, styles make games and Glasgow's big weapon has been the mall. And we know how many tries that the, the, the hook has been getting. But Northampton's thing is the mall as well. If you've been watching Northampton this season and they were equal to it and they managed to stop it. Now, there was a bit of debate about how legal it was, but at the end of the day, the referee interpreted it in a legal way, and that's all that matters. So, a bit of a surprise for me. Glasgow will be massively disappointed losing at home to, to Northampton, who traditionally aren't very good in Europe in recent years, anyway. But yeah, I don't know. Did what, what did you make of it, mate? That seemed to me to be a bit of a shock. That was definitely the biggest shock for me, potentially of the weekend, because Glasgow's home record is extremely impressive, and Northampton. Yeah, they are doing quite well this season, but it's still that was still a big shock to me. But as you said, this is definitely a positive from a from a Champions Cup perspective, and, and from a like nobody wants to see the Premiership do poorly. Nobody wants to see another team drop out. So I think it's really important, um, that they are taking this competition seriously this year. And and not only that, but they're obviously they they have the talent there, and um, to do well. And I think that that can only be a good thing. So maybe we, we we can leave it there. We we've had to we've had to endure that this weekend. So hopefully, yeah, URC teams will do better next weekend. Speaking of endure, so there's been a lot of chats from the English media 
about players this week, about players who might be leaving and who might not be leaving or, or players who might even be coming back. And one of the players he's talked most about in rugby at the moment is Henry Arundel. So despite only being 21 years old and only having 21 professional starts in his rugby career so far, he is one of the most talked about rugby players playing the game at the moment, particularly in the UK. So he's chosen this week to stay at Racing 92 and therefore make himself ineligible for England, which has caused some consternation in England. That is despite a rumoured offer of a salary of over £200,000 per year, which would make him more highly paid than a lot of established international players in the UK. So I did a bit of digging on on Henry Arundel just to get his his story. Obviously, it's not a story that's been going on for very long, like I said. He exploded onto the scene in the 2021-2022 season. He got four tries in his three games for England under-20s, and he scored a wonder try for London Irish against Toulon in the Challenge Cup quarterfinal. He then scored on his test debut against Australia, and he ended that season with uh, the Young Player of the Year award for the English Premiership. So, obviously, he started his rugby career at a million miles an hour since then it has been a bit of a mixed bag so in the second season for London Irish he was on the bench more than he started and the same went for England as well he does not have a high proportion of starts for England he's only scored four try sorry he's only scored in four of the 16 games he played for London Irish in the premiership he played more games in the Premiership Cup, which is the development competition, and he played in Europe as well. Uh, he then has now, uh, sorry, he's got four starts for England and he's got five tries in those four starts. But we know that all five of those tries came against Chile in the World Cup and Chile had never played a tier one nation before that day. He's now moved to Racing in the top 14 and he started his Racing career with a hat trick where he was playing on the wing. Uh, and that uh, hat-trick came against Toulon. He's since moved to fullback, and he's played his last two games at fullback. And they have been much more of a, a mixed bag. He has been missing a few tackles. His defence has been exposed a, a bit, in my opinion. His positioning in the backfield to cover kicks is also not amazing. Uh, and he can his decision-making and his kicking is, is also not what I would expect of a top-level uh, fullback. Now, of course, he's only 21. He's got plenty of time to develop into that. But like in his game against La Rochelle, he did get a try in that game, but he barely touched the ball and he barely did anything in defence either. If you look down his stats for that game, it's a, it's a whole load of zeros and a whole load of categories. He had a difficult game against Quinns. His defence, like I say, was a bit exposed and his kicking wasn't great. But still, the hype is is around him and there's a lot of people in England who were disappointed that he's not coming back and think he should be the future for England. Have you managed to catch much of him, mate? What's your impression of him? Do you think he is worth the hype? From what I read and, and what um, what I've seen and, and listened to, like it certainly sounds like he is worth the hype. And I think especially from an England perspective, the reason he hasn't done better is because coaches haven't picked him. So if he had more opportunity, he would obviously have performed better. But I, I haven't seen an awful lot of them. Um, I've heard really good things. Um, but you going through all that does kind of, yeah, it, it, it puts a different spin on the story, doesn't it? And and going back to his decision to up to stay with Racing, I think it's fair play to him. Like he is, as you said, still very young, in, especially in rugby terms. So fair play to him for just probably taking the money. And what was really interesting as well is that allegedly, yeah, he's he was offered a, a hybrid contract right so money from the RFU plus from his club so I think that was a really interesting development and you would have thought that the offer would have been substantial enough to, to lure him back especially with that that England card as well and so I am quite surprised that he stayed but he's obviously been offered a whole load of cash by, by Racing who have it too like they were able to get Sia Galisi out of a, a long-term uh, contract with the Sharks so I think from an English perspective, like from an English rugby perspective, that's that's actually quite disappointing that they, they weren't able to lure him back um, from his own. Yeah, from his perspective, I'm sure, it is, I'm sure it's a good thing, especially financially. But yeah, I haven't, whenever I have seen him play, he was 
pretty fantastic to be honest but I think the biggest thing especially from an English perspective or an England rugby perspective that he hasn't got those opportunities at international level yet um, but let's see how he gets on for the next couple of seasons over in Racing and maybe he'll be a better player when he comes back and maybe he'll walk straight into that, that English team and get, well, and get a get a club to, to hire yeah, it, it would have been interesting because like you say Borthwick hasn't been picking him but if he's on a hybrid contract there's automatically pressure on Borthwick to pick him and if you're mm-hmm. picking him at fullback so if he's playing at fullback, then there's pressure on Borthwick to pick him at fullback. Now, we've seen the stats for England wingers during the World Cup. They barely touch the ball. So that that's kind of a, a waste of Arundel's key attribute, which is his pace and his finishing. And also, you know, what that asked the question of Marcus Smith's whole thing was he, he, he was supposed to be playing at fullback for England now. So, yeah, it, it, it's, it would have been a weird one, but it's all the birds now because he's staying in France and he's not going to be playing for England and I wonder if we're going to see many more players um, in that situation for me the one that England's really going to ruin not having is Joe Marchant I think that him moving to um, Stade Francais and being ineligible for England is a real loss for them I think that's the, the biggest blow in terms of losing players for me so far anyway Shall we move on to some other rugby? Yes, believe it or not, there was some other rugby. So quickly, before we just finish on the Europe chat, I just want to talk about a poll that I did on on Twitter uh, yesterday, on Monday. So I asked people, you know, with all the debate about the format of Europe now, would people prefer to go back to the old format and have a more truncated and less flowy URC? Or would they prefer to have a better URC and potentially dispense with Europe? And the result was 78% in favour of having a worse URC and better Europe rather than having a better URC and less or no Europe. Would you kind of agree with that, mate? I I think there's a bit of recency bias in there. Um, I think there will be plenty of weekends of the URC this season where people will be saying, God, I wish we had a better URC schedule but yeah do you think that generally having a better european format is more important than having a better urc format traditionally i I was certainly said yes but the more and more i I get into it you know the in terms of the urc and and the more and more people that have started watching it and, and since the south african teams have joined i'm definitely not so sure like from an irish perspective you always judge you know a province by their performance in the Heineken Cup, not by their performance, um, if you can call it a domestic league. So I can see why why people have chosen that often uh, that option rather. Uh, for me, I would like to see that the, the URC push on, um, but not at not at the expense. Or sorry, rather, I wouldn't like the European competition to push on at the expense of the URC, just because I, I don't know if the European competition is going to be around in not the short term i think it's completely safe but in 10 years time when we've reduced the amount of games that that clubs have to play in um, is this competition going to be around and if it's not i want a really strong urc there now i know that's that's not maybe a uh, like a lot of people probably laugh at that suggestion but for me you know if if, if we are going to move to a british and irish league or a urc league with the english Premier teams involved you know how, how are we going to fit in uh, a european cup um so yeah in a roundabout way i think i wouldn't yeah i'd like to see the urc push on um but for europe maybe leave it the way it is and see how it plays out for a while and reduce the amount of games but i think if you're going to have a european european competition maybe i should clarify that like i i just think there is a possibility that the champions cup won't be there in 10 years time Um, it probably will though um being honest and if you think about it i just think it should be like a completely elite competition uh, with not a high number of teams. Um, and I think like the, the whole idea and, and this really, you know, kind of highlighted it for me this weekend. Like I definitely do miss those home and away fixtures. Like imagine La Rochelle coming to Dublin at a sold out Aviva Stadium this weekend. Like there'd be no better matchup for me or or Munster, you know, when they're massive contingent of, of um uh, fans going out to, to Bayonne and, and follow them there. Like it, if we can get back to that and just cut down the number of teams and make it a, a really competitive competition, then I think that that's 
where I'd love it to be, but 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 not at the expense of the ORC. But yeah, I think I maybe need to, to clarify. Yeah, I don't think it's I just think there is a possibility with the way things are going that the Champions Cup might not have a future. But in reality, hopefully it does, and hopefully it's an elite competition with not a lot of teams and it and it's got the best teams from those competitions as well. Yeah, well, what's your I, take I got, on it, mate? I got tagged into something with uh Rian Lowe by Harry Jones. And then Squid Rugby actually actually chimed in. And for me, the, the question, you have to start with what do you want Europe to be? So you, you said that you'd like it to be an elite competition with the best of the best. Some fans would say that it should be a competition for the fans and it should be about giving an opportunity for everyone to have their day in the sun and to have a big moment. Uh, but you've also got to make sure that the clubs themselves are interested in it. It's therefore, it's commercially viable. So if you cut down on the number of teams that are in it that would mean fewer games for obviously some clubs and at the moment in the urc format you only get nine home games which is not really enough so i was going through it with kian aka rubby kino shout out just via dms and i just drew a a, like a, a calendar in excel and was just moving games around on it and there's just there's just not enough weekends in the year for all the rugby there's, there's just not enough time to play all of these games and have a, have a functional calendar in the, norm, in the Northern Hemisphere. So that's the opportunity that if we were to go to a British and Irish league and Europe were to therefore become defunct, the, the one opportunity that you would get off the back of that is a chance to have a, a domestic calendar that look, makes sense and that you can put breaks in and it doesn't have clashes with international games and things like that but just at the moment and obviously with the French just why would the French want to change because it suits them so well at the moment and everything's going so well in the top 14 there's just not enough space in the calendar to to have the URC with the current number of teams in it and go back to the pool style um, format for Europe unless you are having URC games clash with internationals which we know people hated so i think we established that the easiest option is to invent a time machine and uh use that to play more games and have more weekends in the year so we're gonna that's start a great idea yeah good idea all right shall we talk about some other club rugby so excitingly this weekend saw the start of the japanese league japan rugby league one so we're going to start giving a bit of coverage to this there's no highlights available unfortunately at the moment you can't watch highlights on youtube Uh, oh go on sorry i believe they're up oh but i believe they're um there is no english commentary but i think i saw before we went up that um there is let me let me check that out while you go through some of the results okay so breaking news here on the pod i'm going to tell you the results so the way that i'm going to explain this league to everybody is in terms of the well-known Western, if you like, players who play in Japan. So obviously all the Japanese players are well-known in Japan uh, and a couple of them are known here, but I'm going to talk to you in terms of the kind of the big tier one players that we we might have heard of. So first game, Sun Goliath featuring Sam Kane and Cheslin Colby defeated uh, Kubota Spears featuring Bernard Foley and former Scarlet David Bulbring. Meanwhile, Damien Dialendi and uh, Marika Korobetti got the better of Jesse Creel and Fafta Clerk as Wild Knights beat Cannon Eagles. So a, a thing in Japan is that all of the teams have got sponsor names in them. And I think like they are the rugby team of the company. So it's not like a, a town name. It's a, So there's like Toshiba and Mitsubishi and things. It's the rugby team of Mitsubishi. It's not just a, like a front shirt sponsor. Anyway, so Kobe Steelers smashed Honda Heat. I think it was like 82-15 or something like that. The try scorers for Kobe Steelers were Brody Retallick got two tries. Uh, Lau Marpi, formerly of the All Blacks, got two tri- got one try. Sorry, Ardi Surveyor got two tries. The goals were kicked by a certain Bryn Gatland, son of Warren. Uh, Franco Mostert was on the losing side. What else happened? Will Genia and Ben Tulis's Kintetsu liners. I'm sorry, I'm trying so hard. Well done. 
lost to Mitsubishi Dinobores, which is a type of boring Stegosaurus. Uh, Richie Mwanga made his debut for Toshiba Brave Lupus as they beat Quagga Smith's Shizuoka Blue Revs. And Bowden Barrett, Aaron Smith and Peter Stefti Toy all played together in the same team for Toyota Verblitz as they beat Black Rams, who didn't have any particularly notable players. And then finally, uh, oh no, sorry, they did have one no notable player, Nathan Hughes, former England and Bristol number eight. Right, well that's, the, that's the Japan League. Hopefully I'll find and a more succinct way of going through it. I do have highlights. So we do have highlights. Um, so yeah, they are not with English commentary, but there are highlights up. So we will put the link to those highlights in the description below. But that's good, yeah. And hopefully they will get English commentary on them in the near future. But it's better than nothing. What else Please happened uh, this weekend? We had some Pro de action, of course we did. And uh, we saw Provence beat Vaughan at Vaughan, uh, in a, which was a huge match in the weekend. Uh, Grenoble continue their slow climb the table uh, with a win over Normandy, which brings them up to sixth. Um, and their opponents are now bottom. What else do we have? We had the Premiership Women's Rugby. Again, we saw Gloucester, Gloucester I should say. Uh, Hartbury v Sale was postponed, unfortunately, but we did see Bristol beat Loughborough, uh, Exeter beat Quinns, and Ealing Trailfinders beat Leicester. Saracens are still on top. And then in the All-Ireland League Division 1A, uh, Lansdowne are still unbeaten. They're still on top. Um, but we did see, you know, there was an exciting game. Shane Young-Munster away at Ballinahinch and Shane O'Leary did score a last-minute penalty to earn them a, uh, a vital win away against Ballinahinch. And Shannon moved out of the relegation zone with a 14-13 win against bottom-of-the-table side Dublin University. I think that's pretty much it for the round of mate, is it? I think so. I think that's all the rugby all the time. So that's Absolutely. just a TV guide to go through. It's pretty much yeah, so be the same as last week, isn't it? It's going to be the same, except we do have some Super Cup, uh, Rugby Europe Super Cup action this coming weekend. Um, so we will go through all of those fixtures on the Friday morning pod. And um, we will have it out on time this week, folks. We promise. <laughs> and I think that's pretty much it for me. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Any last words, Hugh? Just a last bit of news on Rugby Europe. So the... What is sometimes referred to as the, the B Six Nations, but it's not that. That's such a disrespectful way of calling it. But the the international tournament with Georgia, Portugal, Romania, Spain, and some the, a few others in it as well. The finals for that are going to be played in P Paris in 2024, uh, and it's going to be hosted at Stade Francais Grand. So that's an exciting bit of news. A bit ex more accessible for maybe a good meeting point for all the fans in the middle. And yeah, just an exciting way of growing the game. Hopefully it's a great event. Great stuff. Thanks, folks. Thanks, you. Talk to you all soon. Cheers, lads. Sports Social Podcast Network. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.